world. Amen? Satan is a master of distraction. And uh, this morning we're going to be uh, delving into the doctrine of hell. And so it is uh, no surprise that he would want to distract us from that course because the last thing that Satan wants is for people in this world to take hell seriously. And so today what we want to do as we continue our Believe series uh, is, is look at what the Scripture teaches uh, about this place we call hell. Uh, it is not a popular subject these days, obviously, uh, even among many Christians. Um, uh, but to ignore hell, to, to act like it doesn't exist, to diminish it at all would be a disservice to the authority of Scripture and a disservice to the teaching of Jesus himself. So as unpleasant as it is uh, this morning, we're going to talk about hell. Are you ready? Okay. Let me say this at the outset. Um, just as there is much that we don't know for sure about heaven, how many of you were here last Sunday as we talked about what we believe about heaven? Um, you know, there's a lot we just don't know. Uh, there's, there's a lot that we speculate, uh, a lot that we, we can draw from Scripture, but not everything when it comes to our experience in heaven. And, and the same is true uh, of hell. Uh, knowledge, our knowledge of the eternal is limited in the temporal. Does that make sense? And it always will be. Now we see through a glass stain darkly, as the Apostle Paul says, then we'll know in full when we're face to face with Jesus. But these are a few things that we do know uh, about hell that the Scripture is absolutely clear on. And the first thing is this. Hell is real. Hell is real. The Bible is also clear that hell is horrible, to say the least. And finally, it is clear in the Scripture that hell is eternal, that there really is no exit from that realm. Jesus taught and he spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. He spoke about hell as a real place, a physical destination, not a cartoon world with a, a guy with a red suit and a pitchfork and horns, which is the way we kind of like to depict it here um, and make light of it. He compared hell to what was known in his day as the Valley of Hinnom, just outside of Jerusalem. Um, it's also called Gehenna. You may be more familiar with that name. It is a name used interchangeably in the New Testament for hell, and it was Jesus who brought this comparison to light. Gehenna was a massive trash pit, if you will, where corpses and garbage from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas were thrown into a fire that never went out. It was also the place where the early kings, we learn in the Old Testament, the early kings of Judah actually sacrificed children in that valley. It was a wicked place. It was a cursed place. It was a place that everyone within earshot of Jesus' teaching 
was familiar with and wanted to stay as far away from as possible. So it's no wonder Jesus used this earthly picture of Gehenna as the ultimate destination for those who would reject his gift of salvation. Jesus likened hell to a fire. We don't just uh, you know, view it that way for no good reason. Jesus likened hell to a fire at least 20 different times in his teaching. He spoke of hell not figuratively, but as a real place. In the same way, he spoke about heaven as a real place. We cannot have one and conveniently discount the other as many try to do today. In the parable of Lazarus and the beggar, Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus being uh, the beggar who who was uh, laid below the rich man's table and just, you know, took crumbs uh, as they fell off of the table um, in Luke chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 16 or or go there um, on your tablet or phone. Luke chapter 16, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man that Jesus told. Both men die, if you'll remember. Uh, The beggar is carried to Abraham's bosom, also uh, synonymous with heaven. And the rich man is carried away to Hades, synonymous with hell in this story. And in hell, in chapter 23 where he was in torment, speaking of the rich man here, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Abraham replied, between us, excuse me, with with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham. So this, this rich man is in hell and he looks up and he sees the poor man who had nothing on this earth and he calls up to Abraham who is with the beggar and he says, have pity on me. Listen to this. Have pity on me and send Lazarus, this poor beggar, to dip the tip of his finger in water and come here and cool my tongue. He still doesn't get it, does he? Because I'm in agony. In this fire. It's the way Jesus portrays the experience of hell. And so what do we learn here from uh, the, the rich man and the way that he speaks and demands that the beggar come to him? Well, I think we learn that hell is a place that pride never dies. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to here. In other words, hell has no exit door. Jesus makes that clear. There is no going back. It is a final destination. The rich man answers, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place 
of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if what? Someone rises from the dead. How true those words of Jesus have proven to be. Hell, as Thomas Hobbes, the philosopher, put it, is truth realized too late. Hell is the the realm of eternal regret. It's a real place. It's a final destination. And from every indication we have in Scripture, hell is horrible. I mean, every depiction from Jesus and others who teach on it, it is a horrible place, to say the least, a place that we do not, no one wants to go. Just as heaven is good beyond our wildest imagination, hell is just the opposite. Jesus said it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said it is where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. Those are the words of Jesus. I don't know about you, but no thanks. I don't want to get anywhere near that. Jesus, interestingly, interestingly enough, probably above all others, did not soft sell hell at all. Like we can tend to do in the church even today. He didn't avoid teaching about it. He talked about it literally, regularly, and dramatically. In Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, if you're familiar with that, Jesus speaks of the final judgment and the separation of believers and unbelievers. The sheep on the right, he says, represent believers who demonstrated their faith by serving others, by bringing water to those who were thirsty, by visiting those who were in prison, by clothing those who needed clothing. And then the king says to those on the right in this parable, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You remember Jesus' words in in John 14 as he was preparing his disciples for his departure? He talks about the fact that he's leaving, but he's going to do what? He's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. And he said, I'm going there and I'm going to prepare just meticulously this this understanding of God preparing a place for his children in this mansion that has many rooms. His concern and his care about our ultimate destination as his children by his side. But to those on his left, the unbelievers who, like the rich man, seem to serve only themselves in this life, the king says this, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. 
God's not preparing places in hell for us or for even unbelievers. He has prepared hell as a place for the devil and his angels. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, he said, to eternal life. Jesus speaks of hell as a real place. He speaks of it as a horrible place. But time and time again, he seems to clearly indicate that hell is eternal. In other words, it's not a temporary stop. The punishment there will not be meted out, satisfied, and cease. Which, you know, I don't know about you, but man, that's hard for me to get my mind around. There will be an eternal, conscious separation from God and from all things good. Unimaginable. Inescapable. It's heartbreaking to think about, even for your worst enemy, to experience that for an eternity. You know, in sorting through the the, the Scripture and and the references to hell, I think hell can best be defined as a place of eternal conscious punishment for those who reject the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. No wonder we don't like to talk about it. And because the thought of a never-ending... Conscious torment seems contrary to our finite understanding of the character of God. Does that seem contrary to God's character to you? An eternal, never-ending conscious torment. That's the difficulty that many have with the concept of hell. That, that, that 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 it's hard to reconcile, at least finitely, this side of eternity with the character of God. The doctrine of hell, because of that, is emotionally the most difficult doctrine for many Christians to affirm. Especially if we have loved ones who we believe were not Christians when they died. Heartbreaking. Very difficult to even think about that. But let me remind you along those lines that only God knows a person's heart. Only God knows a person's heart. Only God knows the hearts that are in this room today. We can't make those judgments or assessments this side of eternity. But thus the urgency to share the gospel, especially with those closest to us. Hell is heartbreaking. It should break our hearts as believers. But for those who believe in and stand on the authority of Scripture, we cannot escape the reality of hell. There are nuances that we can debate, just like the nuances of heaven and what we'll experience there. But hell itself cannot be denied without diminishing the very authority of Scripture. Wayne Grudem, who in my opinion is, 
is the best contemporary theologian today. He put it this way. He said, the doctrine of hell tends to be one of the first doctrines given up by people who are, a move, who are moving away from a commitment to the Bible as absolutely truthful in all that it affirms. Among liberal theologians who do not accept the absolute authority of Scripture, there is not one today who believes in the doctrine of eternal conscious punishment. Are you following me? Why is that? Why, why do, do liberal theologians tend to go in the other direction? Man, hell's hard to swallow. I mean, it is a difficult doctrine. And it is difficult, again, this side of eternity, to square it in our minds with the character of an all-loving God. I mean, we don't even like to talk about it. Not even in church anymore. Because it doesn't feel good. It separates Jesus, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. We don't like to talk about it because it offends and it's exclusive and it doesn't draw a crowd. Sadly enough, in the end it will. Especially if we ignore it. Is hell inconsistent with the character of God? I mean, that's the question. Is hell and the concept of hell that we read about and that Jesus taught in the Scripture, is it inconsistent with the character of an all-loving, all-just God? Some say it is inconsistent. And they cannot reconcile a God of love with an eternal, never-ending punishment. I mean, in my mind as a human, I get that. I totally get that. But whatever the reality of hell is, and I don't stand up here today pretending that I've got it all figured out. I don't. But whatever the reality of hell is, we can rest assured that it is consistent with the character of God. Perfectly just. Perfectly fair. Strangely enough. To our sensibilities. Perfectly flowing from his character of love. In Revelation 19. Just prior to the final judgment. In this sequence that we see. In, in, in Revelation 19 through 22. The voices of those in heaven cry out now with praise to God. Now, this is happening in the future as far as our timeline. So if you're a believer here this morning, this is your voice. This is your voice. It says, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. When we know, as we are known, it will be clear to us in that day. And again, this is just prior to the final judgment 
where the wheat and the tares go their separate ways, where the sheep and the goats go their separate ways. When we're in heaven, we will know and we will see and we will understand the perfection of the character of God when it comes both to heaven and to hell. I don't understand it all. But the scripture is clear on that. There will come a day when we will understand fully. When we will, when it will all make sense to us and God's perfect character will be proven to be consistent and unblemished for all eternity. That's what the scripture teaches. Hell is real. Hell is horrible. Hell is eternal. The Scripture also teaches those things clearly. But hell, thank God, is, uh, is avoidable. It's avoidable. No one has to go to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. That's often the argument. How can a good, perfect, all-loving God send people to hell? God sends no one. To hell. People choose to go there. The scripture is clear that we, all of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet by His grace, He gives us another chance. We don't have to suffer the penalty of our own sin, which is death and separation from Him and hell for all eternity. By His grace, He offers us life. And it's free. It's a gift. God sends no one to hell. He offers us the gift of life. And we have the freedom to either choose it or to reject it. Is that harsh? Man, that's grace. That's the most beautiful thing. The most beautiful expression of love that we will ever see, that we will ever experience. The Scripture tells us that God is perfect in His love. That He is perfect in His justice. And the reality is we see those two things come together. We see His love and His justice collide at the cross where not even He was exempt from the justice He requires. Are you with me? That was His Son. To satisfy the penalty for our sin. Jesus was sacrificed. He sent Jesus because He loved the world so much to be sacrificed for the sake of our sin. And through the cross, God provides a path for every human being to be reconciled to Himself for all eternity. A path to get off the highway to hell And to go to heaven. But the choice is ours. The choice is ours. God's heart is to keep as many people as possible out of hell. He didn't prepare a place for us there. He prepared that place for the devil and his angels. And we'll talk more about that next week when we look at Satan. He wants to keep as many people as he can away from this horrible place. And that's why Jesus hasn't returned yet to call it a day. 
That's what Peter was referring to when he wrote these words in Second Peter chapter 3. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise of return and judgment. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, with me. Not wanting anyone to perish. That's the heart of God. He's not sending people to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. And Paul echoes those words to Timothy. He said, God our Savior wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That Jesus Christ is our Savior. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. He paid the price for us. God doesn't prepare a place for men in hell. He has prepared a place for you in heaven. And the question is... (laughs) Will you, will I, choose to occupy it? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every jot and tittle of it. We thank you for every corner of Scripture, Lord. Lord, these teachings are hard. They, they break our hearts, Lord, when we think about those who, who may not be with you in heaven. But Lord, we can't get away from your word. We can't get away from the truth. And Lord, what would and how would we understand the glory of heaven and why would we have incentive, uh, Lord, to, to embrace Christ and live the life that you've called us to do if there were not an alternative? God, sin is real. We acknowledge that. And Lord, in our finite minds, we don't understand the heinousness, the severity consequences of sin as they compare to your perfection your holiness and your righteousness we could look at the shootings that have occurred in the last 24 hours Lord and we could say that is evil but Lord we too without Christ As your word tells us, we're but filthy rags before you. It is only through his sacrifice, his giving of his own life at the cross, his payment because he lived a perfect life, his payment, Lord, through his sacrificial death for the forgiveness of our sins that we can stand before you. It is nothing that we bring in and of ourselves. It is all in him. He who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, let us acknowledge Christ today as our only hope. Let us acknowledge it is Your grace and Your grace alone that brings us home. And let us see the urgency, Father, of sharing 
the gospel, the good news with the world around us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.